0: Hello, my name is Adam Easton. Welcome to episode 109 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a marvelously professional and ethical show lined up for you today. Um, I'm in a short while. I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Curtis Riles. Uh, Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media. Uh, We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Curtis Riles. We're going to be talking all things Ethics, ethics and professionalism and raising standards. Um, that is, you know, we're going to be discussing hypnoethics. I, I'm particularly excited to be sharing the discussion with you this week. Um, I, I, and you, you'll see the reasons why, and or you'll hear the reasons why, um, I'm, I'm later on in the show. I um, will round things off with this week's hy- hypnosis evidence based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every hypnosis weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. Uh, I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub. And all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with the related links, are posted in the episode notes section at iTunes. And on each episode's page of the website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, please do go give us a favorable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. It takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks to give us a favorable rating um, and it does us a world of good. Um, so first of all, today is this week's interview with my guest uh, Curtis Riles. Um, I've not actually met Curtis. Um, he was put in touch with me via a professional peer, and uh, him and I we exchanged a few emails about about, about some other matters. Um, but it also became clear to me that he had a very similar thought process to me um, when it came to ethics. I'm um, um, so much so that he, he, he'd been he'd been sort of forging and creating a hypnoethics program um and um, um and daniel's vision um, of raising standards and looks to adhere to evidence base um and there were a number of other areas that really appealed to me about him and his work um and and, and there's there's no one in the field of hypnotherapy who really discusses the the topic of ethics you know um so so I invited him on the show and and the rest is history um before we get on to that topic uh, we're going to learn a bit about Curtis um roll our sleeves up and get into the interview let's get on with it shall we for now get comfy my friends turn up the volume sip on your tea enjoy this week's interview So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to today's show, our guest, the one and only Curtis Riles. Curtis, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Tell us about how you got into the field, what your background is, and how you've arrived at where you are now.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I'm a hypnotherapist in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, And you know, I got into hypnosis like many people do. I I sort of witnessed uh, how amazing it can be. I think I originally saw it in a science experiment where they had a guy place his hand in a vat of freezing water, and they had him hold it in there as long as he could uh and he didn't last very long, if you can imagine that's pretty uncomfortable, but then they hypnotized him and did it again, and he was able to leave his hand in there you know comfortably you know indefinitely <laughs> in theory yeah um and so that was really kind of the point at which I realized you know this isn't just some you know mad hypnotist evil cartoon thing, but there's actually something to it. Um, and it was several years after that when I happened to find a book in my dad's old things, um, and it was Dave Eldman's hypnotherapy. And, you know, just out of curiosity, I began reading the book and, you know, I sort of learned how to begin approaching hypnosis with that. Uh, and my love for it was just really sparked And I started, you know, looking up every book and resource online that I could find at the time. There wasn't a whole lot, um, And, you know, I just started to learn how to do hypnosis that way, and it really sparked my interest. Uh, And then as I continued to, you know, go on through my life, you know, go to college and all that, I found that, you know, throughout my studies, I have a background in psychology and a background in philosophy, uh, and I also did a lot of work in neuroscience. So uh, with the psychology background, I, I was working in a neuroscience laboratory, several neuroscience laboratories. Uh, and I found that hypnosis was kind of the the midpoint between all these disciplines, right? Um, it wasn't really talked about very much in any of the disciplines, mm. but from my perspective and from what I had learned, everything was kind of pointing to hypnosis as this really interesting mechanism of consciousness. And so, you know, I continued to to study and uh, learn about it. Uh, and then I eventually, you know, got the certification and went that route. Um, and I was doing it informally for a while until it became something that I could actually create a living doing so. Uh, that's
0: yeah. how I really got into it great great I mean w- w- with that combination of background which, which I find fascinating um, um tell me a little bit about where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned you know that is you know h- how do you define hypnosis how did you how did you arrive at that definition and h- how do you explain hypnosis to your clients and perhaps you know is there any difference between the way you you you, you would explain it to to friends at a dinner party for example
1: Yeah, you know, I I kind of have two working definitions of hypnosis. Um, One is sort of the American Psychological Association's definition, just, you know, a state of consciousness involving focused attention and, you know, reduced peripheral awareness during which you're open to suggestions, um, that type of definition. And I think that's a fine definition. I I think it works. Um, But given my background and, and what I've studied in philosophy of mind and, you know, Psychology and neuroscience. I really just kind of look at hypnosis as this idea of using language to shape consciousness and We're very representational beings and we use language as our primary means of representation Um, And there's a lot of evidence that shows that you know without language. We wouldn't have consciousness and given that hypnosis is really this um, It's a language-based intervention if you will Uh, It's really just kind of using that language and that representation to shape consciousness and shape your perception of reality in the world Um, So, you know, it's kind of an interesting Um, I don't necessarily go into all of that with my clients Um, I basically talk about You know how we develop habits and patterns over time and we have sort of these neural networks that that correspond with that that have been trained over time to react to our environment in a certain way And with hypnosis, you're able to basically quiet the mind and reshape those neural networks and create a different representation that you bring with you into your daily life. Uh, That's pretty much how I describe it to my clients. Um, Sometimes, you know, I I don't really like this concept of the subconscious mind. Um, You know, I think it could be a useful construct to discuss, but... um, you know it's hard enough to define consciousness, <laughs> let alone to you know start talking about the subconscious mind and and what that is so yeah. sometimes I will bring up subconscious to my clients if that's sort of how they can understand things better, but in general, I just talk about it um uh, about creating mindsets and developing those those neural pathways that that correspond to it
0: yeah 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 and, and so so how has that been fashioned um you know what what, what are some of your influences in this field And um, perhaps tell us who some of your major influences are or if there are any, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, the Dave Ellman book a little while ago, Um, but uh, are there other books and authors that have taught you most or any teachers that have been most influential upon you that perhaps you could share?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, and it's really hard to narrow that down. There's there's been so many that uh, everything kind of begins to blend together (laughs) to a large extent. Um, So obviously (laughs) Dave Ellman was a big one for me. That's kind of how I started things off. And Erickson is, of course, uh, another big one. Um, you know, more contemporary people who have been influential for me are both uh, Kirsch and Lynn. Uh, you know, I've followed a lot of their work and their research, and it's, it's obviously very influential in the field. Um, I think some other people who are kind of doing what I'm doing that I've been following um, and seem to have a very similar perspective on hypnosis to, to my own are uh, James Tripp and Melissa Tears. I think they, they do very good work. Um, I haven't been a formal student of either of theirs, but, you know, I've, I'm familiar with their work. Um, but really, I think a lot of my influence comes not necessarily from the hypnosis field, but really from the philosophy field. And yeah, it, great. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, uh, the NLP world, if you read, you know, the, the structure of magic, those types of things, they, they reference, you know, photo and cats, uh, language of thought, those types of things. I've yeah. done a lot of work with that, that work, um, and evaluated it and, um, I think, you know, kind of looking at the, the language of thought as a, as a basis for how we structure language and everything is really useful, but there's some major problems with that theory. I think philosophy has kind of moved way beyond that. Um, and I've really picked up ideas from other philosophers that have been influential for me in my hypnosis work. Um, some of them are, you know, David Chalmers. Um, and he talks, you know, he's kind of a dualist. He resurrected dualism from from the dead, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. And He does it in a very useful way where he really identifies um, the problem of how, you know, how can matter our brain, you know, our our biological self create this feeling of what it's like to to be alive. And, uh, you know, when you're working with hypnosis, um, you're not necessarily poking around in the brain, but you're working with that feeling to basically impact physiology And so just kind of understanding that connection and understanding how information exchange can be the basis for those changes um, is useful. And also Daniel Dennett and Steven Pinker are big influences of mine in the philosophy world. Um, You know, Daniel Dennett, I think, uh, while he, he may not necessarily agree with this, I'm not sure. I think he outlines a very useful theory of mine that is essentially hypnosis to me. And his idea is that we have these different um, parallel processing systems in our mind. So, you know, part of you is processing your visual system. Part of you is processing, you know, your biological system, your heart and your lungs. And you have all these different reports within yourself that are kind of working, using language to uh, identify what's happening. And consciousness is basically something that we've evolved over time to basically be a self-report of all the self-reports. So it's kind of a self-report of the self-report. And again, using language to do that. And he talks a lot about how uh, we're very story-oriented and metaphorical beings uh, with those representations and how sort of these ideas... um, spread throughout a population through th- these memes and these ideas that are just repeated and continually processed. Uh, and that's very much hypnosis to me in a big way. So um, there's mm. obviously other philosophers in there as well who have been a, a big influence, but it's just really shaped how I perceived hypnosis and how I've learned to work with it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Um, probably, that, you know, one of the biggest influences um, on my own career was... A, is a man who still is a very influential in the field of Stoic philosophy, for example. Um, um, so it, it's really lovely hearing that. Um, um, tell us, um, um, you know, throughout your experience, what, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, that you've directly witnessed? Yeah,
1: you know, there's been some big transformations I've had with clients that that really stuck out to me. Um, you know but it doesn't necessarily seem that impressive. Like working with somebody who's had anxiety, crippling anxiety for 20 years, and then working with them for a few sessions coming out of that, being able to function on a completely different level um, is always impressive to me. But yeah. I think that's kind of in line with what a lot of hypnotists see. Um, I think one of the most interesting phenomenons for me in hypnosis are positive hallucination, mm. actually, you know, visualizing the, the clock on the wall, so to speak, when it's not there. Um, and, you know, I haven't had a lot of people who've been able to accomplish that. Um, there are a handful of people who have uh, what I've done, sort of exploratory workshops and things like that. I don't really use that in my in my practice. But, you know, negative hallucinations where you are looking at something and, you know, you don't really see it. That's impressive. But I can kind of understand how that is, how that works with uh, attention. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Just being absent minded and you trip over something, you didn't really see it there. I think hypnosis just kind of utilizes that process and uh, amplifies it. But the positive hallucinations just really fascinate me. Just creating in your own mind, using your imagination, something that isn't there and actually experiencing it as if it were real. That's always been fascinating for me. Um, And then I think the other thing that uh, has been really impressive to me is childbirth hypnosis. Um so I've worked with a lot of clients on uh childbirth hypnosis kind of preparing them for for that process but I'm not usually there when they're when they're giving birth but my wife has had uh, both of our kids using uh hypnosis as um the main means of pain control and it's just been phenomenal I mean that situation's phenomenal in and of itself but just seeing how hypnosis can be used to to modulate that process is really really interesting
0: Yeah 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 for real um, um, um if you could uh if you go back then Curtis you know if you could go back to when you started out within this field, you know exploring this field or, or even when you started out as a, as a professional within this field knowing knowing what you know now is there anything you would do differently uh, uh that, that you'd share with us is there any advice the person you are today would give to to to, to that younger you uh that you'd, that you'd share with uh, our listeners
1: Yeah, this is a a difficult question. I mean, there's things I would say, but at the same time, I really appreciate the path that I have taken and, um, you know, what's come of it. Uh, So, you know, as I said, I've kind of gone through the psychology and philosophy route, um, but then I also work professionally in a variety of fields, mostly in clinical research, um, including in in bioethics and, and things like that, that have really given me skills and tools that I probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, So I'm very appreciative of the path that I have taken on. So to say I'm going to go back and change that is actually sort of difficult to do. Um, But that being said, I think what I would say is to just go for it um, earlier. Uh, For a long time, it's always been one of those things that's kind of been this big, scary leap to go from this professional world into actually doing hypnosis, which is a different professional world, but working for yourself and kind of getting out there and doing it. Um, But it was very possible. I think I could have done it a lot earlier um and i think some other things that i would say is to get a mentor early on so for a long time um i was very self taught which is fine and i think i learned a lot I, I was pretty good at teaching myself um but i think having a mentor early on would have been uh, much more useful to develop the skills that i have now
0: yeah 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 some that that, 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 that there's some good sound advice in there um, um, and you mentioned, you made a reference to, to bioethics and um, in a short while, uh, in the second part of today's show, we're going to be talking all things um, ethics with Curtis. Um, Curtis, for, for, for now, where can people go to learn more about you, your work, your approach to hypnosis and so on? Sure. So
1: um, for my hypnotherapy practice, you could find me at com. Um, and if you want to look into the, that bioethics work that that we discussed and my approach for that, uh, you would go to hypnoethics.com. Those are probably the best places to find me. And of course, you can also find me on Facebook at Madison Hypnosis Center and Hypnoethics.
0: OK, great. So we will put uh, links to, 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 to all of those sites, uh, Madison Hypnosis dot com and Hypnoethics.com. dot um, over at uh, links to those um, over at this page of the Hypnosis Weekly um, 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 website Um we're going to be back with uh, Curtis in, in a few minutes time we're going to be talking all things hypnoethics uh, I'm really excited about this um, stay tuned I really enjoyed that uh, more from Curtis shortly um, I'm next up. We're going to have a look at our hypnosis in the news stories. Today, I'm making reference to just one story, to a story that was published by the British Psychological Society in their research digest way back in 2016. Um, because I wrote an article about it back then and, and, and I shared it again, um, um, this past week and had a whole bunch of people, you know, really drummed up lots of interesting debate from some very well known people in our field, in fact. Um, the article was um, 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 that was published by the BPS, the British Psychological Society, was entitled 10 of the Most Widely Believed Myths in Psychology, and it offers plenty of evidence base that refutes commonly held beliefs in the field of psychology. Um, so I, I, was, I was feeling smug at being aware of plenty of the evidence base being cited in the article, and it got down to number nine uh, when I was originally reading it, and this is what was written. Number nine, neurolinguistic programming is scientific, um, i.e. they're saying that this is a myth. Um, and, And what they say is... It's true that a minority of psychologists are trained in neurolinguistic programming and advocate its use. But it is a serious error to think that NLP is grounded in scientific findings in either psychology or neuroscience. In fact, the system which is usually marketed as a way of achieving greater personal success was developed by two self-help gurus in the 1970s who simply made up their own psychological principles after watching psychotherapists working with their clients. NLP is full of false claims that sound scientific-ish, such as that we each have a preferred representational system for thinking about the world and the best way to influence someone is to mirror their preferred system. A forensic trawl through all the claims made in NLP programs found that the overwhelming majority are piffle. In many contexts, this may be harmless, but in a, but in 2013, a charity was called a charity was called to book for offering NLP based therapy to traumatised war veterans. Um, I strongly recommend having a read of the links in that article, including in that snippet above um, the Thomas Witovsky PDF. Um, 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 one of the major issues that the field of NLP faces, according to to me and my personal stance um, and and my personal bias and leaning towards evidence-based practice is that the field suffers from a lack of direct supporting evidence. Though it is sometimes claimed that that many underpinning principles have evidence to support them. However, if you go and search randomized controlled trials uh, testing, the very testable techniques of NLP on a research database such as PubMed or Plus One, for example, It's slim pickings, very slim pickings, certainly very slim compared to hypnotherapy um, and, and very, very slim compared to CBT, for example. However, When this line of thought was posed to one of NLP's creators, the co-creators rather, uh, Richard Bandler on a BBC interview about NLP, he mentioned that NLP was not really designed to be effective in the laboratory and that it was less important to fit in with the formalised psychology field in this way. And the the interviewer stated, um, I read in my briefings here that neuro-linguistic programming is not supported by scientific evidence at all to which Bandler questions the type of researchers making those claims. He says he said social scientists or real scientists Um, and and, and questions their ability to be able to employ the technique properly. He suggests that taking a group of 20 people with a fear of elevators um, up into an elevator shows success rather than being done by a group of scientists who don't really know how to do it. Um, And so NLP was um, similarly and perhaps more comprehensively critiqued by Michael Heap in 2008, who has published a number of papers about NLP and aspects of NLP. Um, A good starting place is his NLP Critique website. You can just Google it, you know, Michael Heap, H-E-A-P, NLP Critique. And you'll find his papers um, 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 that were published by the Skeptical Intelligencer and the Association for Skeptical Inquiry. And they make for some very, very interesting reading. Likewise, one of my favourite sceptic podcasts, uh, Skeptoid by Brian Dunning, did an episode on NLP, which you can go and track down. Um, Likewise, there's much more debate and healthily sceptical appraisal to be read and examined online. You know, lots of what's been said in these critical appraisals. Um, ends up being refuted by supporters of NLP and it stimulated much debate. Much like the way in which I've, uh, you know, uh, as soon as I republished this article this week, I had loads of people jumping down my throat and offering up what I would consider to be rather vapid, vacuous arguments that are offered up every single time and, and, and attempting to offer me up some, some sort of evidence which really was rather unsatisfactory. Um, um, and, and some of the arguments that, that were thrown around and that, were, that was kind of met with some appreciation from from fellow NLP lovers, um, and especially from a couple of, of quite well-known names in the field, um, 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 you, you know, offered up some arguments which, which really were just a bit unsatisfactory. You know I know a great many very well respected NLP authors and trainers who are just not interested in acceptance from the field of psychology and again don't think that NLP is right to be tested in a more formalized clinical environment of research labs. I'm not really making a point here about NLP. Um, um, The debate that I tend to offer up is that you know if you're seeking to be an evidence-based practitioner as I do as much as is possible with the hypnotherapy field I work in it's really quite tough to defend the use of NLP when there's such a damning lack of evidence to warrant or suggest its use um, um you know if you if you have a look at um my, my 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 facebook page for example you'll see where i reposted this article um about a week ago the end of february um we're in 2019 now and you'll see the people that have made comments and what my responses are to them um you know in in the interview with richard bander that i mentioned earlier um you know um bander suggests that nlp is not really to be used as a therapy, um, as used by a great many therapists, but as a way of optimising individuals. And I'm not sure if that's semantic games that he's playing, um, but it does further fuel the debate. You know, I'm I'm, I'm pleased that I dug the article out because of all the interesting fervour that it was stimulating and some of the feathers that it was clearly ruffling um you know for the record uh, I teach n l p as as part of my my, my own diploma program um, but I teach both sides of it i teach its critique as well and i teach um, um, um you know the, the evidence base where there is some um, um, and 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 give people a really robust grounding in it as well. Um, You know, I I co-created a board game, The Quest of NLP, you know, 15 years ago that teaches people how to advance NLP skills. Um, And I've trained with um, um, with both Richard Bander, John Grinder, Robert Diltz and a number of other prominent trainers and, and definitely have found much use in what's offered in the field of NLP. I think, however, it's important to have a balanced ethos and it's healthy to critique and scrutinize what we do. And scientific inquiry offers that to some extent. I believe it's important to know our own bias, you know, confirmation bias in particular, which I see as prevalent in the NLP field and, you know, which which feels affronted anytime anyone asks some healthy questions of it. I'm weary of the culture of magical thinking that's inherent within a great many NLP trainings and practitioners approaches and an overly positive posturing and framing and selling of what NLP is and what it does and I find training standards to be questionable. I think some rational thinking, healthy scepticism and some scientific inquiry would help it develop into its potential much more than the mindset that I've found to be so popular in in my past sort of 20- something in these fields, and um, there is a link uh, to the main referenced article over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion, and I welcome back Curtis Riles. Um, we learned a bit about Curtis and his background in the interview and you heard of his background in bioethics which, which which he's begun to import into his work as a hypnotherapist and he's valiantly and brilliantly seeking to bring more awareness into the hypnotherapy field in general um, about ethics. Um, I, I got really excited about this discussion and before the show I put together a couple of advanced ethical dilemmas to share with Curtis and, and, and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll stimulate some thought um in your mind as well you know and, um, and Curtis was most gracious in the way in which he responded and dealt with this stuff. Anyway here is this week's professional discussion with Curtis Riles enjoy. So I'm back joined once again with this week's guest Curtis Riles and um I'm, I'm, Curtis uh, and, and one, one of the reasons I was so keen to have Curtis on the show is because he's he's he, he's out there in the world talking about ethics um, and raising discussions about ethics within the hypnosis and hypnotherapy field. This is something I'm off air. I was just just explaining to Curtis that, that it, it's something I teach at uh, as an integral part of our um our advanced training here here at my own college and and I, I think it's quite rare to, to see people discussing this subject out there in the world um, and within the hypnotherapy field um, and, and, and so I was really keen to get it in uh, and have Curtis come on the show and discuss this because I have such a keen personal interest myself as well as a, a professional interest. Um, Curtis welcome back um, first of all j- just tell us you know how is your how's your interest developed in this area. You, you know, we're talking about hypnoethics, for example. How was your interest developed in this? You know, just tell us a bit, a bit about the background as to, 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 to how it's all kind of culminated.
1: Right, so uh, as I said previously that I have a background in philosophy, uh, philosophy of mind mostly was my original focus of philosophy. And I've used that to really shape my perspective on hypnosis. But, you know, part of my training was in ethics and I found that ethics is really kind of the most practical part of philosophy in many ways. Um, And so before I became a hypnotist, I was involved in clinical research at the University of Wisconsin um, in in various forms, um, but most recently as a bioethicist. And so I would review clinical research for ethical considerations, adherence to, you know, federal and state and institutional regulations, um, and really just evaluating uh, human subjects research for, you know, these ethical standards. And uh, as I was doing that, um, I earned my master's degree in bioethics. So it kind of took the philosophy to the next level and really um, focused on on the ethics aspect of of the philosophy. And around that time is also when I was transitioning from um, that that previous professional field into uh, my hypnosis professional field. And I realized that there wasn't a whole lot of information on ethics and hypnosis.
0: Right.
1: you know there's codes of ethics and most places teach that or they might give it some lip service but i think there's both a a lack of understanding of what ethics is and also um you know there's this kind of interesting idea out there that well i'm a good person i'm ethical i don't need training but a lot of people just don't know what they don't know yeah uh and so I, i thought that kind of bringing the this bioethics work into the hypnosis field would be really useful to enhance professionalism uh in the industry
0: yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, for people, for people, perhaps that have had far less exposure and far less professional exposure um, th- th- than yourself. I mean, I mean, um, 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 the kind of the kind of. Uh, so, so, for me, for example, ethics. You know, uh, w- w- with my own research, with my own laboratory research up up at university. I um, mean, um, you know, we're, we're, I have ethics committees that we need to get through, um, and we need to get get our our our. our, our our experiments approved and, and and make sure that they're ethically compliant and so on but 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 that kind of ethics is quite difficult quite different to the type of ethics that we're talking about. In, 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 in the therapeutic setting and with regards to, to raising the standards that you just made a reference to. So for anybody that, that's perhaps not aware of what it is that we're actually discussing, what it is that we're actually talking about in this show, um, um, perhaps you could just put it in some plain terms, you know, what are we talking about as far as ethics are concerned? Or perhaps, you know, a couple of examples.
1: Sure. So, I mean, ethics is really just the study of what's right and wrong. It's the study of morality. And um, most people have a pretty good intuitive sense about what that is, but oftentimes they have a difficult time justifying what they believe. It sort of comes down to these emotional reactions. And there's a lot of different perspectives you can take when reasoning through certain ethical problems. Um, And so really kind of understanding Uh, what those different ways of thinking about things are can help you come to solutions that are better for yourself, better for your clients, and better for the industry as a whole. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of potentially ethical issues uh, in hypnosis. Um, And at least in America, there's sort of this, this argument out there that hypnosis done by lay practitioners is unethical in and of itself. Um, And there's a a lot of work to kind of shut down the industry um, in in many ways by, you know, the American Psychological Association and those types of things. Um, And I think that they actually have uh, an interesting argument that um, has some merit. But I think that this idea that hypnosis is inherently unethical done by lay practitioners, I think that's wrong. I think it can be unethical or it can be ethical and understanding um, what those issues are in the field and how to approach them in an ethical way can really protect the industry and protect individual practitioners.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this is, this is a real breath of fresh air uh, for, for me to hear that and, and, to, and to hear somebody that's, that, that's really wanting to, to kind of expose the field to that. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned there, um, what, what, what can professionals do then, um, um, or perhaps you can give us a couple of ideas of some, 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 perhaps a couple of sort of key uh, ethical issues within our field that would help the, the, the awareness of them, and perhaps some sort of an application um, can w- would help raise standards and so on. And I, I, I'm also very aware of what a difficult question that is to, to just <laughs> thro- to, to just throw your way, because with a lot of a lot of ethics, there's no there's no finite answer, is there? Sometimes.
1: And that's very true. And so I don't claim to have all the right answers either, right? Uh, it's more just about outlying, um, or outlining what the ways of thinking about it are, so that people can come to a conclusion that's yeah. not really based on these knee-jerk reactions or you yeah. know these ideas that that uh, might have some problems with it. So, um, you know, I think some major issues um, with with hypnosis is one scope of practice. Um, sort of recognizing that, you know, unless you are a psychologist, you're not a psychologist, right? Yeah. Um, And you're not diagnosing and treating mental health disorders. You're helping people make personal changes using hypnosis. And I've seen a lot of hypnotists who really tread that line maybe a little too closely um, and start to kind of psychoanalyze their clients and really come up with, oh, well, you know, you are this or you are that. And I think um, it's really not necessary to to go down that road. And it's actually quite unethical to suggest that people might have certain disorders or not, unless you're trained to really evaluate that. Um, So that's one component of it. Yeah, Uh, I think, you know, another component is really managing the risks and benefits of hypnosis. Um, And, you know, hypnosis is, is generally pretty safe, but there are potential risks with it. Everything from you know creating false memories to really adverse ad reactions, um, and there's some really interesting case studies of uh, you know psychoses and things happening with hypnosis that are that are quite rare, and it's it's hard to attribute it directly to hypnosis, um, but just being aware that those are you know possible outcomes of working with somebody when you're in hypnosis. Um, and so, really, kind of understanding how to manage those risks, um, but also to provide the best benefit for people. So, you know, really not just doing anything willy-nilly in hypnosis, but using you know evidence-based approaches, uh, and then working with people um, that you know you have the skills to be able to help them, um, yeah. and using hypnosis in a way that is, is validated. So, for example, I had um, I had a client. Well, actually, he ended up not being a client, but he came to me because he wanted to do hypnosis uh, because he wanted to reverse his aging process. And uh, obviously, hypnosis can't do that, right? I mean, it can reduce stress. It can make you feel better. Maybe slow down the aging process if you do it regularly, you know, the the mindfulness stuff and all that. Um, But I think to, to claim that is sort of a little bit out of bounds and to say, you know, well, Hey, sure. Come work with me. Uh, I I can reverse your aging process. Um, I mean, obviously, that's that's not a good representation of hypnosis. So,
0: no,
1: um, really using hypnosis in ways that are validated and for things that are validated in validated ways. Um, And a lot of that really uh, requires you to be familiar with the research or at least um, be familiar with sources who are familiar with the research.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think um, um, you know a discussion, an interesting discussion I was having the other day. You know, if 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 a client is paying you, you know, and you're engaging in a in a professional relationship with somebody, um, you, you know, with, with in virtually every other sort of. Uh, area of mental health you, you know you, you are expected to have read the research and to have to, 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 to have kept abreast of it and, and been aware of it so you know it, it, even the fact that it's a it's a consideration um, within our field is something that I, I actually my experience has been that people are, are not as familiar with it as perhaps they, they ought to be or as perhaps other other areas of of, of sort of mental health are um um you know the 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 other thing that i was that i was interested in as well you know as well as kind of specific topical areas such as the ones you've mentioned here you know the being aware of the scope of practice and one's sphere of professional competence you know managing risks and and being aware of you know applications and what it is you're you're suggesting can and can't be done with hypnosis just 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 you know something i sort of alluded to earlier just just, just being aware of it and having an awareness that there are potential ethical issues that raise themselves with with even the most seemingly ordinary of of clients and situations, and just having a kind of ethics awareness and a, an understanding of what, what what ethics actually means. You know, do, do, do you think you know? Am I right there, or or am I am am I foaming at the mouth unnecessarily?
1: Well, I think you're absolutely right, um, and having that ethical awareness, it really informs your practice and, so that you're able to approach it with a, a different lens, right? It's, it's a different mindset, basically, as you approach it, and, you know, I think there are sort of these big ethical issues that, that come up, um, and you might be familiar, there's a case in Florida, I think maybe a couple of years ago now, where a principal hypnotized some students... Yeah, Um, and several of them ended up dying um, in in various ways. And it was obviously very controversial. Um, And it really makes hypnosis look pretty bad. And there's a lot of debate about, you know, whether or not hypnosis is or isn't responsible for it. I mean, I think most hypnotists would agree that hypnosis isn't really the key factor there. But uh, nonetheless, there were some ethical breaches there that were problematic. And you know, maintaining those ethical standards as you practice prevents things like that from happening. And that's an extreme case. But there's also day to day things that happen and just really understanding how to respect informed consent and respect autonomy with within an individual person um, is important and getting them through their treatment in a way that uh, respects them as a person and, you know, maintains those ethical standards um, and little things, too, like working with children and how do you get permission to do that Um You know, how do you guide somebody through traumatic experiences if you're doing that? Should you even go back and do that? I mean, I'm generally not a big proponent of regression, except for perhaps in in a few cases. Um, But you know, there's a lot of really minor ethical things that come up on a day to day basis. And it's really easy to say, oh, well, I'm helping the person. So it's okay. Anything goes. And I don't really think that that's necessarily true. Um, Even if the outcome is good, it it doesn't always necessarily justify the approach that you took to get there. Um, Although there is there's a train of thought in ethics that says, you know, the ends do justify the means. Uh, You can do just about anything you want as long as it's for a good cause. Um, But there's some problems with that. And so being able to kind of sort through that and understand it and make your own decision on it
0: is is really important as you approach your practice in science. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You you know, um, um, I'm it. you know l- later on I really want to ask you about uh, about your own approach and about your own program and and what it is you're doing um um, um but what do you think you know do, do you think that that, that that the field i mean obviously you think the field needs more of this but but what's the way do you think uh, uh to 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 get the field more aware of this do you think that it's something that that needs to be advanced? Um, at, at at diploma level, you know when people are when people are first developing their their understanding of of this field that that actually it should play a much more important role just in in, in the early education within our field uh
1: absolutely and so you know I, my approach is um I, I'm trying to make my contribution which I recognize is a, is a drop in the bucket and you know i'm not going to change the whole industry overnight. But really incorporating these ideas into hypnosis education and not just as a lip service of, you know, here's a code of ethics, you should abide by this. But really in in in-depth ethical training so that people are approaching it um, from that perspective is really important. And that's kind of a a key component of professionalism. Um, And so, you know, there's a there's a big debate out there about whether or not hypnosis is its own profession or if it should even exist um, as a, a profession and I think the, the concept that most people have of a profession is of a job, right? So, um, well, of course it's a profession. I work as a hypnotist and it's my job and that's, that's what I do. But professionalism is really, it goes beyond that. It implies a certain level of expertise and a certain level of standards that allows you to be an intermediary between an individual and society and that you can actually profess your expertise to the world. Um, that 's kind of the the basis of professionalism, and yeah. to do that really requires ethical standards and an adherence to those ethical standards uh, and an understanding of how to do that
0: yeah 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 you know um and perhaps you can tell us a little bit about you you know because it even though even though you know you you say, you know, I'm not going to change the world overnight, and so on. The fact that there that there are voices out there, and there is a, a voice such as yourself, and um, and people like me, want to. What, what, want to help amplify that voice um um y- y- you know I, I, I think i think it's an incredibly virtuous thing to be able to do and and you know that the, the field needs more of it um, um to t- tell me a bit about what you are doing tell me a bit about you know your, your program and what it is that, that that you are currently doing and and how you're going about it
1: Right, so uh, currently I have a a training for hypnotists um, in in ethics, Uh, and it's, you know, basic certification in ethics that goes through the the fundamentals of ethical reasoning. Um, And it goes through sort of, you know, the main tenets of of bioethics, you know, uh, principalism, and it goes through the different principles that you can adhere to. It goes through consequentialist theories, it goes through... um, you know, virtue ethics, uh, professionalism, and it really kind of outlines the basis for all those types of things, so that people can take that and have that understanding um, as they shape their own practice and decide how to work with clients. Um, And then beyond that, you know, I'd like to continue to develop training modules that are more specific and focused on, um, you know, smaller topics that are directly relevant to the issues in hypnosis, you know, whether that's, you know, working on best practices for informed consent, or how to you know resolve ethical issues, um, and you know I'm trying to network and work with other national organizations to bring this training into their programs so that it is uh, a key component up front, not something people do after the fact. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I would like to work with people to develop um, ethics boards that can really serve as sort of a, a self-regulating uh, entity that provides some sort of recourse for people. Uh, to understand who the ethical practitioners are and what to do if they come across an ethical issue for, for clients. Um, Or even as a resource for other hypnotists to say, Hey, you know, I'm facing this dilemma. How do I resolve
0: this? Yeah. 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 You you know, I I love hearing. I I mean, I mean, one of the things um, one of the things I found myself involved in is, is a number of a number of ethical debates and, and, and discussion just, just as a means of seeking to, to, to advance my own professionalism in a number of different ways. I mean, for example, one of the key areas you mentioned earlier was scope of practice and, and working, you know, doing our best to work with presenting issues which we've, which we, which we've got sufficient training in. Um, um, but I think, you know, a, a good ethical mindset and a good ethical un, uh, you know, understanding typically will what will enable us to think well you know are, are my existing skills transferable you know so for example i may not have had specific training on my diploma with regards to a particular application or a particular issue but are, are my existing skills transferable am i able to 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 deal with those deficits in my training and one of the things that i found really interesting um um, or, or or you know when a client has a deficit in their knowledge and and i see i see facebook groups you know posts from somebody saying you know i've got a client coming in for x y and z you know what do you what do you suggest and and for me it seems you know it seems almost inconceivable that someone would agree to work with a uh, a a paying client Having you know whereby you know a Facebook group has been the primary source of information on, on this particular issue, right? Um, yet, yet you know my my own diploma level training, for example, doesn't doesn't you know it's not exhaustive. You know there are going to be presenting issues for which somebody has received no training, but you know a, a good enough level of training to be able to potentially transfer certain skills. And for me, that the, the kind of ethical, the, you know, that the ethics and the importance of ethics is recognizing to what extent you can transfer some skills, to what extent you you must not. And, and what is the most professional route for you as an individual, even if there's not a finite answer to that question? Um, I'm, I'm, would you agree with that? Or is it, you know, should I be put straight there? No, I mean, I think you're right. And I think another key component to that, though, is
1: also uh, the informed consent part of that. And that is letting the clients that you're working with know what your experience level is on this, Um, that, hey, you know, maybe I've never worked with this before, but I have a pretty good idea how to approach it. If you'd still like to work with me, I'm I'm happy to try this with you. Um, You know, here's the risks and benefits of doing that. Uh, versus saying, oh yes, absolutely, I, I can work with you, no problem here. Um, you know, I, I've done this several times before, and I know exactly what I'm doing, right? So there's sort of a, a difference there in how you approach it with the client, and you know, you may lose a client doing that, um, but there may also be people who do give you the opportunity to work with them, and you gain that experience. But I think you're absolutely right. The I, idea of Um, agreeing to work with a client and then going uh, on the back end to online forums to figure out how to actually approach it um, is pretty unethical. Now, I think what I I have seen, which I think is within the realm of acceptability, is to say, okay, you know, I recognize I have a deficit here. I have a pretty good idea of how to approach it. But I'd also like to touch base with some professionals who are out there in the world and see if their approach differs from mine. Um, I think information gathering is fine for a novice to do. And actually important, but yeah. I think if that's your sole source for you know relying on how to approach a client, um, I mean that's problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I didn't mean to suggest that people should should never do that because there are some brilliant people online who have great experience and great resource and, and of course, can, can help with things like that. Um, um, one of the areas that that, that, that that I'm fascinated with as well, one of the things you mentioned there um, with regards to informed consent and, you know, for me, informed consent is, is incredibly important. Yet, yet yet i also think that you know that there are certain certain snippets of information that hypnotherapists typically tend to offer up that probably warrant some some ethical consideration as to what you know it, in an attempt to to create informed consent sometimes um are, are actually potentially creating problems you know um mm-hmm. um that, that, such as you know telling your client they'll always remain in control or they won't fall asleep or that all hypnosis is self hypnosis or that you know, it, it's not a miracle cure, you know, the kind of stock expressions and stock information that a lot of hypnotherapists seem to feel the need to, to impart to their clients. In a sense, those those kind of statements don't necessarily help to inform the client, you know, um, mm. um, that, 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 that they, put, they run, you run the risk of making issues out of non issues, potentially seeding doubt in the client's mind that wasn't necessarily there to begin with. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say to a client, you know, um, I'm, I just wanted to let you know that hypnotherapy it, it, it is not, it's not devil worship. Uh, or, or, or hypnotherapy does not kill people, for example. You know. You know. I mean. I mean. You know. Of course, I wouldn't say such. You know. I would never dream of saying such a thing. And and, and uh, you know, I would worry that, that if I did say something, you know, my client may well become nervous where where previously, you know, they were, that they were blissfully ignorant. And I think that that you know, um, um, um do I need to do I need to kind of push? As far as informed consent is concerned, I tell everybody everything that i that, that I probably know um, 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 or, or, you know or is it the case that you know, good ethical understanding recommend you, you know recognizes that 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 it's, that it's okay on occasions to to you know as far as your informed consent is concerned that that we don't necessarily have to have to worry people.
1: Right. And it, there's, it's a balancing act. So it's a, it's a very tricky issue. And so um, if you go in for a medical procedure, uh, if they're doing it right, they will sort of give you a list of all the potential risks and all the potential Absolutely. benefits. Absolutely. Um, and one of the issues with hypnosis is that, uh, you know, we work with expectations in a big way. And even putting those out there are subtle suggestions for what is going to happen. Um, and so you know outlining you know all the potential you know absolutely incredibly rare and horrible things that could maybe happen with hypnosis not that there really are that many but um, really sort of sets the stage for maybe actually creating that outcome when otherwise it it wouldn't be there Um, and so it's really a balancing act Uh, you mentioned you know uh, the client was sitting there in blissful ignorance just a moment ago i think that is problematic because you cannot have an informed
0: decision with blissful ignorance no you're you you're, um, you're, 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 you're absolutely spot on you know i i'm 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 purposely being a little bit of devil's advocate um, um oh because... and it's
1: great I, yeah i love it and i know that's probably not the approach you take but you're just saying you know they're sitting there like oh this is great let's do hypnosis um yeah. they might be consenting but they're not providing informed consent
0: no but, quite right. so
1: it, you know, that's kind of one extreme, and the other end is, you know, listing every single possible risk and benefit there that's there. That's not very productive either. Um, and so really the standard is giving them enough information so that they can make a decision consistent with their values. Um, yeah. So they probably should know that there are potential things that, that can happen in hypnosis, but you don't need to go into all the gory details. You can emphasize that it, it's very rare and unlikely, Um and you can really set the expectancy for having a positive outcome saying, well, you know, you know it's possible some people have reported headaches, but we're really going to work on making you as comfortable as possible and um, really have you enjoy this process as you make your change. Something along yeah. those lines,
0: right? Yeah. So you yeah. can
1: still set these positive expectations while outlining, you know, potential uh, adverse effects.
0: Yeah, 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 spot on. Spot on. You know, I'm, 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 one of the other, you know, but, 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 as part of my, um, as part of my preparation – my preparation for having you on the show. I wrote down a whole bunch of things that I think that, that I thought were really interesting ethical debates. And um I'm I'm you know what's, what what I think it, it is is important is, is that people just just kind of consider these things and have had some some opportunity for a stimulating discussion or, or just a just a mindset around the ethics that, are, that 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 are associated with that. And and you know some people may think that that that, that some of it is just just common sense yet Yet I think, you know, again, blissful ignorance uh, uh, among hypnotherapists makes you far, far less professional. Um, you know, but basic, you know, uh, I think I, I think every hypnotherapist knows, you know, h- h- how to how they are supposed to deal with with complex confidentiality issues, for example. But but I suppose an ethical debate arises if you you happen to know or or, or if you're working with two clients who know one another and uh you know you're working with one um um say for example um um you know you're working with a father and son um the son is stressed because his business is on the verge of collapsing for example um um but the, the 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 father you know perhaps um um, is is telling you how proud he is of his son and um you know the son usually tells tells him everything and mentioned how invested he is in his son's business you know and has put all his life savings into his son's business and and you know so so you're hearing two sets of information both of which have got to be kept absolutely absolutely confidential Um, um yet there's a the, 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 you know an awareness of, of of ethics and of an ethical debate with regards to how how potentially breaking confidentiality might you know uh, change uh, change people 's lives for the better outside of outside of the the therapeutic environment i 'm not suggesting for one moment that that, that confidentiality is ever broken. But that, you know, having an awareness of the the, the ethics and a professionalism around how to deal with a situation like that, um, um, you know, it helps us to raise our professionalism at the same time.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's dozens of scenarios like that that can pop up in, in a regular practice. Yeah, um, that was that, that was just one that I decided to yeah. to, 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 to construct before I go <laughs> and, and that's a great example. You know, and it's one of those things that it seems simple, right? But it's yeah. actually a pretty complex ethical issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, th- this is something. Can I, I could... say, can I just say one more yeah. thing about? This? Yeah. The,
1: the interesting thing is if you talk to, you know, 100 hypnotists, you are going to find a lot of different ways to approach that problem. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily right or wrong, but I think it's problematic that an industry um, as big as hypnosis doesn't necessarily have a a universal agreement on how to approach those types of situations. And you're you're never going to have a universal agreement, but um, I think that it's problematic that you have such a diverse uh, array of answers, um, and, and some of them are blatantly, you know, not that good <laughs>
0: yeah 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 quite right quite right you know th- 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 there is very often a lack of professionalism um, um for, for, for me um for me you know a- a ethics training um and a- an understanding of ethics I- in our field it is not just about um i'm um, giving giving finite answers but about you know you know creating a, a kind of culture and an environment of professional Um, um, awareness of ethics and 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 a thinking process whereby people people consider ethics and consider professionalism more
1: yes absolutely so it's it's really a a way of reasoning through things that is consistent
0: with you know industry standards yeah 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 yeah. that i'm going to copy and paste that sentence (laughs) and put it in put it in my notes because that is nail on the head curtis that was that, that that was beautiful it, it' it's it's almost as if you've considered this <laughs> so 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 if people want to go and learn more about the program and learn more about this which which I strongly hope you know I sincerely hope that lots of people do um they go to hypnoethics.com.
1: Yes, that's correct. Hypnoauthors.com. And uh, you can take the training there. Um, or if people have any you know, questions uh, about hypnosis, you can, you can reach out and contact me as well. And again, that's uh, MadisonHypnosisCenter.com. You can find my contact information there.
0: Great, great. You know, I, I, um, I'm, I could have just carried on and on. Uh, I, I, I wanted to do that thing where, where I just wanted to keep offering up. Uh, um, an endless supply of, of advanced ethical scenarios for us to discuss <laughs> but I don't think that would make for very compelling listening um, for, um, um, as much as it would put a smile on my face. Um, um, Curtis thank you ever so much for coming and being a guest on the show and uh, giving so so generously and so readily um, um, of your expertise
1: Yes, thank you very much for having me <laughs>
0: I really enjoyed that. It was lovely speaking to Curtis. You know, it's always good speaking uh, to people that are looking to raise standards and professionalism in the field. And I really hope that his voice is heard far and wide with regards to his work with, 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 with ethics. Um, there are links to Ryan's websites uh, over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website and in the episode notes at iTunes. Um, so on to this week's evidence based factoid. Uh, the fact of the week is this hypnosis may be effective in reducing anxiety and pain in children receiving dental anaesthesia. So, yes, indeed, a a, a 2011 study by Hewitt and colleagues um, entitled Hypnosis and Dental Anaesthesia in Children, a prospective controlled study. Um, It examined a group of children aged between five and 12 who uh, who were due to undergo dentistry involving um, a, a dental anesthesia and all the participants were assigned to one of two groups um, um, one of which had hypnosis at the time of anesthesia and one whereby the participants did not have hypnosis at the time of anesthesia anxiety um their anxiety levels were assessed at um, at the time of inclusion in the study at the initial consultation stage um, um and and when they when they sat in the dentist's chair in 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 the chair in the dentist's room and at the time of the anesthesia being used um, the modified yale preoperative anxiety scale was used I'm um, um, following anesthesia i'm um, also a visual analog scale, and a modified objective pain score were used to assess the pain experienced um, The median scores from all of those scales were significantly lower in the hypnosis group than the non hypnosis group. Significantly more children in the hypnosis group also had no or mild pain again. The study suggests hypnosis may be effective for reducing anxiety and pain in children receiving dental anesthesia. Very cool study indeed, as as they all are, aren't they? Um, a link to that research paper, if you want to go check it out, is included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. If you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. That's it for this week's 109th edition. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode uh, on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I always welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure that they are addressed. and answered and explored accordingly again please do share this podcast on Facebook Twitter and anywhere else really help us reach the hypnosis field thanks again go to uh, this week's guest Curtis Riles my thanks to you for tuning in my name is Adam Eason this has been Hypnosis Weekly until next time goodbye for now